This week on Living the Call, Deacon Charlie talks with J.D. Long Garcia, a husband and father and senior editor at America Magazine, a national news platform run by the Jesuits. At America, J.D. heads up the publication's efforts to report on Latinos in the Catholic Church with a special attention to immigration, criminal justice, and Catholic education. In this episode, Deacon Charlie and JD discuss the best way to protect ourselves against Satan's use of New Age and occult practices. JD shares his take on the Latino community in the church and gives his thoughts on Pope Francis. Why is he often viewed as a person of contention? How might the Holy Spirit be using seeds planted by the Pope to bring people to the Catholic Church? JD also discusses challenges he faces in Catholic journalism today. Who knows? I mean, maybe Catholic media could be that an example that other journalists and other media outlets can emulate. Instead of us constantly following what they're doing, maybe we should actually take the lead on some of these things and have these conversations that lead to more fruitful dialogue and to reconciliation. This is Living the Call. J.D. Long Garcia, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's Jonda, right? That's the nickname? Yeah, the nickname is Jonda. Yeah, my cousin gave me that name because um, John David was too long. So, um, yeah. Is, uh, By the way, I mean, name. I'd been reading you for years. I didn't even know it was John David because it was always just JD. That's just what I, you know, what I knew you as. Yeah, my mom hates it, but, you know, we're trying to <laughs> trying to save costs where we can with the ink, you know? Uh, it also shows you the limitations or I guess the gifts of the Spanish language because in Spanish, Jota de just doesn't work. That's you know, right. JD. Exactly. It's like, what? Yeah. Although Jonda sounds like a Star Wars name. Yeah, which is perfect really for me. Um, I, I have been told now and then that I am strong with the force. So. Oh, have you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you're, you're a Star Wars guy, right? I think I remember that from what we talked about the last time. Yeah, I'm definitely a Star Wars guy. Um, I, uh, uh, I happened to be as old as Star Wars, you know, same year. Uh, so, oh, really? Yeah. Was that 77? 77, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah, I've been trying to do telekinesis uh, since I was a kid. Uh, and one, oh, of the, that's awesome. one of these days I'll be able to, like, you know, force pull there, a pencil over or whatever, you know. But, there's yeah. a, there's, are you familiar with Jimmy Aiken? Yeah. Do you know who Jimmy Aiken sure. is? Sure, yeah, yeah. Do you know his, you know his podcast? Mysterious World. Have you ever heard it? I haven't, but uh, but I should. I, I know his stuff. So, yeah. So he's got this uh, crazy pod. One of my favorite podcasts, actually. It's called uh, Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. And he looks at, um, well, you know, mysterious things. Things like telekinesis and remote viewing and the Loch Ness Monster. And he view all these different and zombies, all of these things, but from the twin perspectives, as he calls it, of faith and reason. Hmm. And because he is who he is, this guy, well, I don't know if you know this, but he was at one point a detective before he became a Catholic apologist. Oh, wow. Um, and so the guy like dis dissects everything. But the reason I bring it up is because I'm not sure as I sit here whether or not telekinesis is actually real. Like maybe you know. Like if people are, can actually do that, I think I, f I feel like I think it, some people can m move things, but I don't, I don't know if, if that's, if that's true. Yeah. Off. Yeah. No, like when I was, a, when I was a kid, um, uh, you know, like I, I, somebody did a trick with the cigarette that looked like that they were pulling the cigarette with the, with an invisible string. But then, you know, on closer inspection, they were actually just, you know, Blowing, blowing, yeah, blowing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've seen they that had, trick too. Have they? Yeah, they had me going for a while, but um, I'm not sure well, about is, telekinesis. Yeah, there is this thing. Um, 
if I recall, uh, that uh, I believe it was St. Thomas Aquinas that believed in sort of natural um, psychokinetic abilities that we had just by Mm -hmm. virtue of being, you know, kind of sharers in the created order. And that, so things like um, remote viewing is one, and I happen to know this only because I've listened to one of his shows, which is kind of this idea of being able to kind of position yourself in another place, Mm. like, you know, on the moon or something and observing things. I think that that, has been in some very limited cases demonstrably proven. And in fact, the government has had, you know, certain groups, I guess, that have like tested remote viewing, like these secret groups you hear about sometimes, like the UFO thing's another one, um, where they've tested remote viewing. So there is some natural ability that we all have at different levels of development to do certain things. I just don't know if like telekinesis is one, but I did the same thing you did as a kid, like put your, put your hand out and like try to make the thing move. Yeah. 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 So far it hasn't worked. So I think like, uh, I mean, I just keep trying, but the same thing honestly is with like levitation. Like one of the ways of prayer of St. Dominic is, you know, Mm. speaking of Thomas Aquinas, uh, you know, he he levitated apparently, uh, and Hey, I'm in, uh, that also hasn't worked for me. So I got to pray harder, I guess, you know, uh, in order to be able to get to that level of, uh, levitation during my prayer. That's actually true though. I mean, we definitely have, you know, uh, really good evidence of levitation and bilocation, you know, as Catholics. So I guess I shouldn't be impressed by telekinesis. I guess I was asking the question from the standpoint of maybe like Mm non-believers can they do that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. You know, I just say like, uh, uh, I don't know, my, my folks back in the day before I was born were into some kind of uh, stuff that may be questionable from the, from the Catholic perspective in terms of like, uh, me maybe, too. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and had some really bit kind of ended up being bad experiences, but some of it tapping, oh, really? tapping into some of the psychic, uh, you know, psychic, the psychic world and, uh, and then ended up going, you know, the wrong path and, you know, God liberated them from it. But, uh, Amen. But, but I think that there's a, uh, I mean, telekinesis, I think that hopefully that's okay, or I could stop doing it. But <laughs> but I think with some <laughs> of that stuff, like uh, yeah. with some of it, like you could really enter, invite spirits that you don't want into your life during that stuff. So um, anyway, <clears> as, <throat> in, yeah. as in all things, right? Like, you know, we invite the Holy Spirit to lead us. And, uh, uh, and you know, if, it, if, if God wants me to have lightsaber, you know, he'll help me out. You know what I mean? So, I, I, I dreamt, I dreamt one time that I had one and it was awesome. It was one, like one of those kid dreams that I never forgot. Um, and I dreamt a couple of times that I could fly. Those are like the dreams I remember, mm-hmm. but they're always pretty memorable on the, on the kind of occult stuff, just real quick. Yeah. Cause I, I, I mentioned my, um, uh, my father, um, what the, the, we come from a Catholic background. I know you've got, uh, you know, uh, we'll get into some of your history, but I know you've got, you know, similar kind of upbringing, but there was, um, a period of time when my dad got into kind of more mystical new agey stuff Mm. and it wasn't Christian mysticism. It was, um, this thing like Silva mind control and like the lost continent of Moo and Atlantis. And like, it was definitely on the fringes of weirdness and he had, it was like a number of years, but my dad was a really mystical dude. Mm. And so to me, to me, I just saw it like dad's just sort of being dad. And then afterwards, you know, towards the last, I'd say, 20, 25 years of his life, he was a hardcore Catholic. But there was a window of time where he was, like, into some of that stuff. With, with um, 
And, and you're right about like opening certain doors. But with your experience, was it similar new age stuff or was it more tarot-y kind of like, you know, divination? Like, what was it? If you, if you want to yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Well, it's for my, it's my folks experience, but um, from what I, when, what they've told me, I think it was more new age, uh, but it was at mm. a time, um, you know, I'm, I'm 45. So my parents are obviously older than that. I'm not going to tell you my mom's age, you know, just in case she finds out. Just in but, case. Um, but anyways, but it was almost like at a time when they were talking about some of these psychic powers as like uh, in, in a kind of a scientific way, like kind of a, a, an empowerment kind of a thing. So I, it wasn't like um, on, on the surface, it wasn't you know marketed as something that was like uh, uh, this new age or bad spirits or anything. But what they found, mm. you know, like uh, you, that there was there's my dad tells the story of this guy who was able to kind of like. Uh, meet someone and then like go into their, close his eyes and kind of go into his, uh, their office basically and be mm. able to tell them what they have on their desk or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I'm not sure why that would be useful, you know, but, uh, but, but in any for, case, find like, where you left your keys. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. But, um, but in any case, like after kind of dabbling in some of that for a while, yeah, they had some mm. kind, kind of felt, uh, spirits that were, um, well, definitely not from God, uh, and kind of left immediately after that. So, um, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I know about uh, about this world a little bit more maybe than I should because, um, and folks who listen to the show know because I mentioned it a, a few times. But uh, my brother is uh, is an exorcist. Now he's not the mandated exorcist of Los Angeles, but he is trained in deliverance um, and the the formal rite of exorcism. And, you know, he shares with me some of the, has shared with me some of the experiences that, um, that he's, that he's had. And in a lot of cases, not all, but in a lot of the cases that are real, cause there's a lot of just people that are, you know, have just trouble. They're just psychologically, whatever, or maybe have been emotionally hurt. But in the cases that are like verifiable that he's experienced a lot, there's a lot of the, that kind of more innocent occult kind of connection. I say innocent in air quotes, right? You know, like I went to the you know tarot card, or I or I played the. There was a game that was kind of hot about I don't know ten years ago with kids. This Charlie Charlie game or something, where like you put a pencil on a cup and ask somebody to spin it. It's just like a weird thing, but but there's like examples of all of this occulty stuff that precedes in in many of those legitimate cases some other kind of issue that he's now being called in to, about, right? So mm -hmm. things, generally speaking, don't just start flying off the shelves just because. Right. It usually, pre it's preceded by certain things in, in, in a lot of cases. Yeah, I think I'm fascinated by that. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I think it's real. You know, like some people don't, uh, don't think that that's real, but um, I'm fascinated by it. But I also feel like we're, there's something in our, in our nature, the way that we were created, that's open to things that are beyond the material, so to speak, sure. realm, right? Where we're hungry for something beyond something like God. That's just the way that we're built. And I think that because of that, we can pick the wrong thing. Do you know what I mean? Like there's some, there's some hunger that isn't satisfied in us. Uh, I would yeah. actually just say it's God, but there's some hunger inside of us. And then I feel like we can um, fall along the wrong path where it yeah. seems like it's the right one because it does, it is nourishing some kind of question in our mind. Um, but, but, you know, can, <laughs> uh, we, we quickly 
become kind of involved with things that are beyond our understanding and, and much more powerful than we are. So um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. For, for, have you ever written about subjects like this? Yeah. I, for, for people who don't, for, who don't know you, JD, I mean, you know, you're a super accomplished journalist. You've got kind of a national footprint and America magazine and all these different things. And you know, we could talk about other things that you've done, but you write about a lot of stuff or have written about a lot of stuff, education and immigration and criminal reform and et cetera, et cetera. The Latino church, which I want to get into a little bit, mm -hmm. but have you ever written about sort of occult stuff? Yeah, I, a little bit. I wrote, um, I got a chance to interview this, um, um, Spanish exorcist, uh, uh, I'm going to blank out his name. Is it Portea? Um, uh, oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Father oh, Fortea? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's right. Yeah. I, I, I was questioning myself, but um, I got to meet him in person too. He was uh, in the Diocese of Phoenix and he did an event here, but, um, and I oh, wow. got a chance to interview him uh, for extensively. And uh, yeah, it was, it was very eye-opening, but then at the same time, like very much a, um, uh, a, a like a, a putting it in the right space putting it in the right space. Like, you know, the, the way that he talks about it, it's like, okay, but God is more powerful than all of these things, you know, but we, we don't have to be afraid of these things when we walk with God. Yeah. Because, and, yeah. Uh, and then kind of distinguishing the different things, you know, like the, you know, we, you, you don't always need an exorcist. Uh, you, you know what I mean? Like sometimes sure. you just have to pray. Uh, and um, so, yeah, so he was, he offered a very grounded approach to it, I think. And um, from what I, what, you know, uh, I didn't, I haven't done any reporting where like I was in the room when they were doing an exorcism. Um, but I have interviewed people that are involved in that kind of thing. Um, and other priests here, uh, uh, this was back when I was working for the Diocese of Phoenix, but priests involved with that at the Diocese of Phoenix as well. Mm. Yeah. Father, uh, Jose Antonio Fortea, that's his name. Yeah, who was, I, I guess I'm looking at his Wikipedia right now. He was appointed an exorcist, but is no longer in the office of exorcism. He's in, um, in uh, in Spain, in, in Madrid, basically, in one of the dioceses <clears throat> of Madrid, there's been a bunch of. I mean, there, there, I guess there has there has been in the sort of entertainment space for a while uh, a lot of um, emphasis or focus on, you know, exorcism and all that kind of stuff. But just in the last little bit, there's like two or three movies that are. I mean, the the Russell Crowe one that's I think it's still out on uh, the Pope's Exorcist. Right. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. I haven't but there, seen it. But what what I find interesting about it is that um, the the demonic in a way, and it isn't something that we should be scared about. And the biggest inoculation we can have against this is just living a solid sacramental life. And mm -hmm. We're never going to get bothered. But the demonic in a way is like an ironclad proof of the existence of God, right? Mm -hmm. when you When you have these cases of people levitating, walking up walls, which are documented cases, like literally non-believers seeing this stuff. How do you walk away from something like that and go, oh yeah, God's not real. There is no supernatural. Like, I, I, it, so it's like in a weird way, it's like a proof of, of God's existence. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And, and we read about it in the gospels and um, about Jesus uh, liberating people from these spirits too. And just, just the um, I, I, I do, I, I completely hear what you're saying and I agree. It points to that beyond, it, it points to more than just kind of the, a material existence. Um, and I think that it, it, <laughs> it, it, I think it starts asking, leading us to ask that question about what happens afterward, what happens to us after death. Uh, and I think that that's For always sure. a question that we need to be asking ourselves, right? Like to confront our own 
um, our own mortality in that way. So, um, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Although, the, like you say, like some of the, the the Hollywood productions of some of these things are could be misleading. Oh, and, for sure, you know, right? But for um, sure, yeah. But, but again, I, I think it speaks to that that there's some kind of hunger in us for for something else that we're not getting with just material things. So, yeah. yeah there's yeah. an interesting story right now, which literally happened this week. It happened. Um, Normally, I don't date the show, but just for the sake of the conversation. So it, this actually happened on May 16th. Um, actually near you, well, I don't know how near Mesa is, but in Arizona. Um, and, and it's uh, apparently there's a story that the Latino community in particular is being victimized by a scam that starts off with this spiritual cleansing, with what they call in the Latino community a limpia, which by the way, if you're listening, don't ever do this stuff. But it's this like curandero thing where they bring the sage in and they start, you know, doing a spiritual cleanse. But the whole thing is a scam because then they basically do like they burglarize the place. And there's literally a story this week about how that's like a huge scam now in Mesa that's 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 taking place around that whole idea of getting spiritually clean. Did you did you come across that? Uh, I haven't come across it, but I I know that there is uh, like sometimes in the charismatic community. Uh, mm. I have found that there is, uh, maybe a, uh, because there is already that openness to this being real, I think in the Latino community that, that, that it's exploited, um, by others, you know? Um, and I, and again, like what we've been talking about staying close to the church and staying close to the sacraments be that way to, to protect yourself against it. But, um, but yeah. What, I, what's your, what's your read? I mean, since we were talking about it, the whole Latino community and, and, you know, I know that you yourself uh, it may not be immediately visibly clear for my people who might, might meet with you, although the Garcia is a little bit of a giveaway, <laughs> that you are, um, you're not just Hispanic, but you're actually bicultural, right? You've got, uh, I'll let you explain it, but you've got, you know, a mix of parentage, et cetera. And well, like, what's your take on the, on the Latino kind of community right now, vis-a-vis the church? Like, how would you explain that to somebody who doesn't know? Yeah. So, um, just say I'm a, I like to say I'm a Latino incognito, you know, uh, but, uh, <laughs> That's a good uh one. yeah, it rhymes, but, um, I, I, the, the Latino church, as you know, uh, I mean, the num our numbers are growing and growing. We're becoming a larger and larger part of the church and in all different sectors. Uh, it gets complicated when I think it gets complicated when we get lumped together, right? Like, so, Okay, so my dad's from Chicago, my mom's from the Dominican Republic. I was born in the Dominican Republic, and I look like this, right? Like I had, I had freckles when I was a kid, uh, and and you know I don't really fit kind of that uh, the the mold, or I don't fit like the stereotype. But um, but there's Latino, all sorts of different kinds of Latinos, like you know, or, yeah. like, or, or people that are also from the Dominican Republic that that are, have very dark skin. Um, that yeah. don't, don't always get invited to the Latino events in different parishes um, in different parts of the country or whatever. So I, 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 I think that it's, it's complicated to, to find that place because maybe that term is less and less adequate to, to, mm. to really in, encapsulate who we are. We were, you know, I, I like to say like in Latin America, you know, they talk about capturing the Latino vote or something here. In Latin America, it's mm -hmm. not like we all vote for the same person, right? It's not like everybody <laughs> votes in lockstep and we're all, oh, happy. Everybody's like, that, that doesn't happen. Like, there, there's The also, mono vote. Yeah. Right, yeah. Like it's, it's so obviously that's not going to happen 
uh, in the United States either. And when it comes to like church needs or church, you know, our experiences, uh, we have, I think that the Latinos have so many, so much to offer the, the church and have been offering the church for forever. Like since, since, mm-hmm. since the inception of this country, the Latinos have been here. Um, I've been around Florida, Santa Fe, you know, um, in, in what's now the United States. And, um, and I think that like when we, when we look at all that and the complexities, I think it just has to be an openness to let more and more Latinos take leadership. Uh, mm. and, and I'm, I've been seeing that here and there. Um, and I, I kind of think it's inevitable with time, but, um, the, I think the faster that we do that, the more that Latinos can see themselves reflected in church leadership, the more they'll be attracted to the church. So um, I think we yeah. I think we've lost a lot of time too with a kind of a in some cases a help uh, you know an important debate but in some cases kind of a not as useful debate which is mostly around language right mm-hmm. because we spend a lot of time trying to say well we want to be relevant and we want this community to be you know seen and heard and ministered to so the first sort of shot out of the cannon is let's translate things right and I just wonder as a writer how you view that. I found it as a business person, a very lackluster strategy because it doesn't solve for everything that that a community needs. You need to see, like you said, you need to have the voices heard irrespective of the language, just in the right places and at the right moments. But, but we've, but we've, we've, we've like constantly go back to this idea of Spanish masses or, or, or in your case, media, right? Spanish media, so, like, I guess I assume if America Magazine is in English that there's no Latinos who can benefit from it, right? So it's like this very—it's it, too narrow a kind of a, a prism, I think, to kind of consider this from. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Uh, and, and we know from studies that the, you know, second, third, fourth generation immigrants, uh, and the, I, know, I prefer English, and we know that, um, that most, most Latinos in the United States were born here. Um, so they're going to be English dominant as well. Um, I think that that cultural component, which is harder to describe, which I think is why we fall yeah, back to language, right? Um, that cultural component. Oh, like, well, they all speak Spanish. Okay, well, we're going to we're going to do everything in Spanish now. Uh, well, that's you're completely missing the culture and the cultural dimension to what we do, which is much more nuanced, right? It, it, it's much more the, the the approach has to be much more nuanced because we're dealing with so many different cultures with the Latin American mm. culture, right? Um, they get, again, they get lumped together. So um, I think that that's right. In, at America, for, for a time, we had a Spanish language uh, scripture reflection uh, that not very many people read, unfortunately. Uh, uh, and I don't want to discount anybody that reads those things, right? Like, you know, it could be somebody of influence and it could have been the right thing for the, at the right time for someone. But, um, sure. but we found that that wasn't, um, we weren't attracting uh, enough people with the Spanish language content because the whole rest of the w- website's in English, right? So you kind of need, if you're going to do Spanish, it, I, I tend to think that it, 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 it's good if it's separate, right? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we had um, a few pages in Phoenix uh, for our diocesan newspaper that, uh, that were in Spanish. But like, you know, if you're a Spanish speaker, you pick up, pick up this paper that's, you know, 36 pages of English and four pages of Spanish. Like, I don't know if you're really engaging like, with it, right? Probably um, the first and last time you pick it up. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, in LA, uh, I, uh, I, I believe they paused... Uh, publishing, but Vida Nueva was all Spanish and uh, for, for many years was very, uh, a vibrant publication in the Latino community. But 
Um, but again, it's going to be serving that first generation. It's going to be serving the immigrant community, which is worthwhile, like 100%. But that's just, that's not it. I mean, it's yeah. only the beginning. And it's not like when we're looking at the numbers, right? Like, I mean, most Latinos are going to be more comfortable in English. Um, and um, so that's why I think that, that that identity question, right? Like that the person who, who comes forward is has that cultural awareness. We just do things natural, naturally in a particular way that resonates with a Latino audience I mean, without thinking about it, you know? Uh, uh, so, so I think that that's, anyway, I think that that's key going forward. I give people certain, you know, what I hope are insights around this question often. And I now am grateful that I can point to you as another example of this insight. And what I try to say to people is that just, you know, I'm speaking to you in English, but what you're hearing is a hundred percent Latino voice. Right. You know, and then I point at others and I go like, you know, I use Father Agustino Torres as an example all the time. He's probably sick of me saying this, but now I can say like J.D. Long Garcia, right? Because I think that part of it is that there's not a lot of inculturated things done in English, <laughs> right? That's one avenue. But when I look at you, the fact that, you know, Obviously, you are who you are and you carry that identity, um, but also the subjects that you choose to cover. I think that's another part of enculturation. Mm -hmm. And I know that you've talked about, you know, issues that matter in the Latino Catholic community, right? Immigration and reform and things like that. That's another part of it. And then there's like this third part, which is harder to describe, which is the way that you talk about these things, right? Right. And, and that way that, that shows that you're not just reporting on something, but you're actually, it's part of your own lived experience. Getting that recipe right and having more of those kind of voices, I think, is definitely a part of how we become more effective in communicating and and and, and ministering, frankly, to this community. Yeah, hundred percent agree. Um, it's it's so interesting for me as being more of a a West Coast person, uh, working for an East Coast organization now in America. The the difference in culture there, and I think that there is, you know, there's some overlap anyway between more of an Anglo culture and more of a Latino culture out here in, in the West. Uh, and, um, uh, and, and the kind of the tensions that that creates sometimes with, mm. with it, like, you know, with it, like if you're doing, especially during the pandemic, during, uh, during a, during like a zoom meeting or, or like a, a, a video conference or whatever, uh, like, you know, Latinos, I, I feel like this is so stereotypical maybe, but like, how are you doing? Like, you know, like they, we want to know how people are doing, we want to tell their jokes, you know, how's your family, you know, how, how about this, how about that, whatever. And um, whereas I feel like there's, there's a, a tendency in maybe East Coast uh, culture, if I can just group everybody together, uh, the millions and millions over there, uh, uh, <laughs> that, you know, I'm trying not to, but it's hard to talk about this without like, you know, painting with broad brushes, but um, it's like, they get down to business. Here's the agenda. Here's number one, two, three, four, five, you know, chick, 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 and and there's, mm. and it's a different environment. Um, and, uh, uh, I don't know, like I, that's something we're still, I feel like I'm still figuring out with my colleagues, but when I was working in LA, cause I had the blessing of working for the LA archdiocese, um, for a few years as well, we had, our newsroom was, we had a bunch of Latinos there, right? So we had from, from Chile, from, uh, South, uh, uh from Paraguay, from El Salvador, from, um, uh, from Mexico. We had like in, in, we're speaking in sp Spanish in the newsroom. And it, it was just like this kind of, it felt like a very creative space because to me, it was, it felt like a creative space because it resonates with me, obviously my culture, 
Um, but there, there was a lot of, there was almost like a, uh, like a warmth that I feel like is, is a deep part mm. of who we are. Um, mm. and that family connection that I feel like, I know families, everybody's comes from a family, but like family is so important to us. Uh, and I think that like, when, when we're able to create a space for that, for those kind that kind of warmth and family and, and, and sometimes mm. like, um, how can I say, like, it's not, uh, 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 why am I not thinking of the word, um, intimate? Yeah, it, definitely intimate, but like less formal, right? Like, I think we're, mm. we can be yeah, informal, we, casual, yeah, yeah, we're very, we can be very casual, right? Like, and even like, what, what, uh, instead of was using uh, usted instead of tú, or you know, we use tú, right. tú sometimes, like all the time, it's like as a default or whatever. You use the, yeah. uh, uh, the informal, uh, um, for you. And, uh, and I think that that's like, uh, that's a very comfortable space. And, and I think that like when things are too formal, sometimes it does turn off Latinos, um, it's so true. Yeah. I mean, my wife, who is who is Anglo, she's not Hispanic, but she shares a very interesting characteristic, which is, in my mind, a, a Latino characteristic, which is kind of what you just described. And it happens when people are coming over to visit. Yeah. Like, you know, somebody's coming in and I'll start, you know, cleaning things up or doing whatever, you know, because you want to just organize your house. Right. But there's a moment where I'm going too much. and she And she's looked at me plenty of times and said, I have no problem with people knowing my house is lived in. This is my house. This is like, so there's this sort of sense of um, it's okay you, to, to dress things up too much, which is part of this formality. Mm -hmm. There's a moment where that sort of starts falling outside the cultural, you know, norms. Because the Latino household is, it, yeah, it's vibrant and things are going on and there's, there may be, somebody maybe just spilled something like, and it's okay, right? Where we're, I think in other cultures, it's more about like, let's make sure that we've staged this the right way and everything is like looking pristine before people kind of walk in. So there's like this little element of that sort of organized messiness, I guess, if I could call it that that's okay in, in, in one context and even maybe expected mm -hmm. that is oftentimes not in others. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, as you're, as you're saying that I'm thinking about, uh, Francis, but Francis saying, I said, Leo, you know, make a mess, like go out there, just do make it. Make a mess. You know? And, yeah. and I, and that, like, I, I think I, 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 um, I've worked with people that just like lose their minds. What do you mean? Make a mess. We got to plan this out. Uh, but, but like, it's, we need to do this. We need to act. We, you know, in, in some case, like we don't, um, um, as far as the church goes, like it, it's okay if it's not perfectly planned out, but but it's not okay to to do nothing. And I think that that's what mm. Francis was getting at, right? Um, and so I think like you know, like if the house is dirty, like hey, people are coming over. The the important part is that they're here with us, that we're in community, we're informing, like we're coming together in communion, whatever. The, the, you know, welcoming somebody into your house is such an intimate thing, right? It, it's it's really important that they get here. It doesn't matter, like if you know you got books still on the table or dirty dishes or whatever. The most important thing is like that that, that you're together, um, and I think that that kind of sensibility w will serve the church a, a lot. Um, I, I recently interviewed a guy uh, for a story that I'm working on um, that that you helped me out as for as well. Uh, that, that left the Catholic Church, and um, mm. he, uh, he he's Latino. He's from uh, uh, what? Well, He's from the, from the border from Agua Prieta here, just south of Douglas, Arizona. Um, but he's mm -hmm. been in the United States for a very long time. They moved to California back and forth or whatever. Um, and he's been in and out of the Catholic Church, back and forth in the Catholic Church. And what he described to me was the uh, when at his parish, he, he, he again, like back and forth, he came back to the Catholic Church at one point, 
he loved it. Uh, he was going to Bible study. He was checked in with the Knights of Columbus. He was like bringing his daughters to mass. He was just, he was eating it all up. Um, then the pastor changed. Uh, and, uh, and I can, you know, I, I don't want to judge anybody, but like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to church for, for Jesus Christ. I'm going there for the Eucharist. Right. That that's, that's why I'm there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yep. But like for, for, yep. for a lot of folks, and I think we should pay attention to this. There is a, uh, the pastor has so much, you know, people follow Big pastors change. around, right? Oh, heck yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? But, um, so, mm. but when this pastor came in, it was just like, he, he said, I no longer felt worthy to go to church. He says, wow. and I thought, and I mean, yeah, my, of course my, my heart broke for him. Um, yeah. and I was interviewing him at, um, at a, uh, at a Protestant church here in Phoenix that it's very vibrant, vibrant or whatever. And he said, you know, I, but the first time I came here, I decided to wear shorts to see if they were going to judge me for it. And I mean, of course, and they didn't, of course, Hey, come on in. Everybody's welcome. They've got coffee, right. some things that aren't my style for sure. You know what I mean? But <laughs> like bringing coffee into church, you know, like, ah, I don't know, you know, but, um, yeah. but, but the, but the idea of like being able to just like take a breath and like be grateful for the people that are coming to in our doors, uh, and to, yeah. to, to welcome them in and that it doesn't, that we can, you know, that that's more important than being overly formal. I think that that will serve the church well. I hear about those stories all the time and they always break my heart mm -hmm. and they break my heart in two ways. And this is part of the mystery of being Catholic. The first way that it breaks my heart is that somebody would feel unwelcome, unregarded, disregarded, that kind of thing. Um, and pastor changes can be very abrupt in certain parts of the country for whatever reason. Um, and it just breaks my heart, right? Because the one place that you should feel that you are welcome anytime, you know, saint or sinner, especially sinner, frankly, is the Catholic Church. Like you should feel that. And so it really breaks my heart in that scenario. The other part that breaks my heart is, you know, the notion that a person puts their entire faith identity in a particular location, environment, or person other than the person of Jesus, right? So the idea that could, is there another diocese down the street, another uh, parish down the street that maybe you can check out to see if it's more akin to your spiritual, you know, unique personality? And the answer nine times out of 10 is no. It's like the entire Catholic church, 2000 years of history, 200 languages, hundreds of countries, all of this patrimony is almost like entirely dependent on the experience that I have at this particular parish on this particular day. And that to me is heartbreaking on another level, right? Which is like, let's open up our horizons a little bit, right? And part of the, the balancing of those two things is what being truly pastoral is, which is like, you're right. You should never feel this way. And shame on us for having treated you this way. By the way, as much as you love it here, if we were all to get hit by a bus tomorrow, you should still be Catholic, right? So it's like, it's that sort of pastoral approach in its true definition. Yeah, a hundred percent that being Catholic isn't just about feeling welcomed, right? <laughs> like it's, it, it, it does have, being Catholic is also a great challenge uh, to, to who I am, to, to lead a different life, right? I mean, there is that, that aspect too, that like I am, if I'm not being challenged by my faith then like how, how deeply am I actually engaging in it? And, um, uh, that's, I've had Job on my mind because I, I just did this, mm. this, just this, this reflection for, um, I, I uh, occasionally write for this uh, publication called Give Us This Day. But like, I, uh, I was just sort of reflecting on Job and kind of thinking like how difficult that is and, and, and kind of thinking about like, 
what does it mean to really believe in God? Uh, it, it, it isn't, I don't believe in God because everything goes my way all the time, right? That's not why. Um, like God didn't promise me that like, you know, I'm going to have a Porsche or something, right? Like, and mm. everything's, everybody's going to love me and everybody's going to, you know, just like open doors for me or something. That's not the deal at all. Um, mm. that I feel like sometimes, um, when we, when we encounter kind of this turbulence sometimes, or when we encounter this, uh, uh, our own personal suffering, we start to ask these questions about, about the church or about God that like, it's not, it, it isn't about things going my way. It's th- it's really about things going God's way and and, Amen. and me cooperating with that. So um so I hear you. I, I that that's perfectly articulated. I think those two kinds of ways of heartbreaking because it's mm. um because we want to welcome them in, but like but 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 like my experience of the Catholic Church and being being I, I felt welcomed is not that like okay well and just keep being exactly who you are. It's like no 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 you know I I'm I'm called to yeah. more. I'm called, called to, to more. Yeah, called Amen. to greater, yeah. deeper ho- holiness uh, each day. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, it just, I just probably won't come as surprised. I'm not quite there yet, you know. <laughs> mm. It's still a work in progress, but. I want to go back, JD, to one thing you said a moment ago, mm-hmm. which I think is kind of a, a rich vein in the kind of gold mining vernacular to explore. And when you brought up Pope Francis and his, <clears throat> you know, sense of make a mess, right? Mm-hmm. Hacer lío. Um because I think Pope Francis, and you're in a unique vantage point to validate this or or disconfirm it, we'll see, but is one of the most misunderstood people I've ever come across in my entire life, especially as a Catholic. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he is our first ever South American Pope, right? This cultural idea that we've been describing, right, um, kind of this sort of organized messiness and whatever it is, is something that is very like identifiable to us as, 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 as Latinos, right. Or Hispanics, we look at this and go, yeah, that's looks like my uncle in a way, you know, it's like right. comes in and says something that's on his mind and people go like, wait, what do you mean? And then we have a little talk and then a half hour later we're, you know, having coffee or something. Right. So mm-hmm. it's not a big deal, but in certain sectors of the Catholic world, it's like a major monkey wrench. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, we don't know how to kind of process that. And, um, and you see it throughout this papacy, right, where we've gotten this sort of dynamic. Uh, I mean, frankly, even, you know, was with at least with America, where America is often regarded on this side of some kind of political divide and other things are regarded on this side of a political divide. But around the person of Francis, there's this sort of dichotomy that's emerged by virtue of that divide, right, where some people are like, well, it's too this and too off the cuff. And other people are like, no, this is the way that it should kind of always be and extemporaneous and it's real, it's authentic. And so it's just such a big area to discuss that I think, you know, you've got a particular purview in that I think is, is really interesting. What do you, what do you think about what I've just shared? Yeah, I, um, I've gotten the chance to cover Francis in, uh, in three different countries, which has been, uh, which is very exciting, but also very exhausting. You know, when you try to cover the Pope, uh, uh, depending on who you're with, you know, like I was an uh, um, I, I was with different publications, but, um, but I, I wasn't in the papal entourage. So, you know, I, mm. I was late everywhere. I was scrambling the whole time or whatever. <laughs> and, but like Francis, no big deal. You know, everybody clears the streets for the Pope mobile. Um, but he has like, he has a, a, a quality of connection. Um, and mm. I saw this in Mexico and I, I saw him in Jerusalem, uh, and I saw him here in the United States and, uh, there's a connection that happens. 
Um, I was when when um, before he spoke uh, at uh, Independence Independence Hall. Uh, he he, you know, he was. I was I was taking photos, and I was sitting right next to this guy from Al Jazeera. Um, and and every you know, at one point, you're, everybody's waiting, and there's like thousands and thousands of people, and everybody's just kind of standing mm. around. You know, uh, I mean, it, it's like I don't think the Rolling Stones would ever attracted this kind of crowd. Like seriously, right? Um, so we're just kind of standing around to hear this guy talk and whatever. Um, and then he, here he comes and you can hear like down the street, you know, uh, uh, you can hear like the crowd kind of like picking up and whatever. And you go, oh, he's coming, he's coming. You know, and I'm ready with my camera, making sure my settings are all right, whatever. And he comes and he drives by and like right in front of me, oh my gosh, he picks up like three babies and kisses them. And I've got the pictures and I'm so excited and I'm like, oh my gosh. And then, you know, I'm trying to like go like as a Catholic, like see the vicar of Christ before me, uh, but then also do my job and take a photo. Do your job, you know? yeah. Um, and then it was just like, wow. And then I look over at the guy uh, from Al Jazeera who had like, a, 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 I, I was taking still photography um, and he, he was running a, ca a camera video. And um, I look over him and he's got tears in his eyes, right? Mm. And he's like, and there's, there's just like, and he's just like, I can't believe what just happened. I can't believe the experience of what just happened. And there and is, he's probably Muslim. Right. Right. It, that, yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, uh, and I, and I just, there is something that's hard to even articulate about what's happening there. And I think that it isn't just the person, right. It's also, uh, the, uh, the office of the papacy, uh, uh, mm. too. Right. I mean, uh, I don't know that like Bergoglio <laughs> had that kind of right. reaction, right. Like it has a lot to do with that too. But I think that like that, kind of warmth and compassion and even mm. the examples that he uses. And he's funny, you know, like when he was talking about, sometimes he gives like these family examples about dinner and don't go to bed uh, when you're angry at your spouse and like those kinds of things. I think that all reveals that kind of Latin American sensibility that really connects with a lot of us. Um, but at the same time, I do think that that cultural, there is cultural, uh, there's something about him culturally that, that makes certain people uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. you know, right? Yeah. Like, like the, with the famous footnote uh, uh, in Amaris Laetitia, yep. or whatever, right? Oh, um, yeah. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Oh, yeah. Wait a minute, hold on. It's like, whoa, you know, we had a system set up or whatever, and I, and I and I, and I get that. And I'm not trying to like defend anybody here, but um, but at the same time, like I think that that what you're you're, I think what you're talking about, why he resonates so much for some of us is because we we his culture is kind of our culture. And we feel at home yeah. listening to him, yeah. right? Like you said, like yeah. he looks like he looks a lot like my grandfather. Uh, um, so yeah. like, I, I mean, we just kind of, um, but it's obviously not just the looks, but even the way that he carries himself, and uh, and and um, yeah. So I think I, I think it's been mm. a fascinating papacy for that reason, and um, and it really has become something like because maybe because he's informal. Like I'm, uh, uh, so, I mean, I don't know if you remember this when he first became pope, like. I, I would have conversations like waiting for coffee in line and somebody would ask, oh, well, what do you do? It's like, oh, uh oh, uh, I work for the Catholic church. You know, who knows what they're <laughs> going to say, right? It's like, oh, you right. work for the Catholic church? I love your Pope. Like, oh my gosh. I mean, what, what, when has yeah. that happened before? Like um, uh, people that are completely not religious. Now, I don't know if they're making that, like my question is like, are they making that switch and then, and then joining? Are they, are they coming back to the church? Uh, or are they just like, or is this just kind of like the be the beginning of their relationship? But um, yeah. but there's a lot there. I think that's happening. Um, he's engaged so many people that weren't engaged before.
I think if I can, and I'm I'm doing this extemporaneously. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think if uh, if if we ever regarded him in some way historically, it might be as the sower, mm. because it, as a pope in in recent history who maybe has sown more seeds outside of the sort of flock, the current flock, he would have to be in there as if not the top guy, one of the top guys, because of the 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 situation you just described has happened to me many times, even by people antagonistic to the church that have said, well, at least you got a good Pope now. And so if that's a seed that the Holy Spirit can give growth to, which is that should be our goal is not to give the growth, right? Even as St. Paul says, we don't give the growth, we just plant the seed. But if, the, if that's the goal, then, man, I'd say, like, hats off in terms of his ability to do that because he has broadened the consciousness and the, the tent in a way, in a way that I don't think other popes have done, certainly not in modern history. I think that the, the cultural piece that you just described is fundamental. I have a three-pronged theory. I'm going to throw this out to you. Tell me what you think, Okay the reasons why he's a person of such, um, uh, you know, I don't know, enthusiasm, let's say, in terms of people's perspective on him, whether it's enthusiastic support or enthusiastic, um, you know, whatever, deference to disagreement. Um, And that is, number one, that he is, it's not that he's not a theologian, and we've had some incredible theologian popes before him, especially recently, right, John Paul and Pope Benedict, but he's a pastoral theologian, right? He is learned and studied in pastoral theology, which is not, not that it's different than systematic theology at its, at its essence, but it is different in application, right? It's more about like, hey, how's, uh, how's JD doing and what does JD need and let's deal with that situation as opposed to here's the construct of how theology is sort of understood, right? So he's a pastoral guy as opposed to a, a systematic guy. The second reason is because he's the first pope in modern history, or he's the first pope ever, rather, who has really lived his papacy in the era of social media. Hmm. You can say that to some degree with Benedict, but the reality of it is that even in the last, since 2012 and 13, when Benedict was there, now we're at a level of immersion in social media that we never had when he was, you know, certainly not starting his papacy, but even towards the end of it. So I think the fact that we can see everything that Francis does, everything, it gives us the ability to comment more, disagree more, agree more, just because we can see it a lot more. So that's number two. And the third one is because he's Hispanic, because he's Latino, because he comes from that culture where we talk with our hands and where we get messy and where just things happen. And that doesn't resonate with a lot of people who are more used to this kind of European ethos, which we've had for centuries. So I think those three reasons, at least in part, begin to explain why he's such a person of contention in certain cases. What do you make? Yeah, I think that that's right. I I, I think um, I think that's absolutely right. I um, the that that definitely that kind of the the what reality is like in Latin America. Like in some ways, it's necessarily messy, right? Like everybody in Latin America is a mix of something, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, like we, we we sometimes we talk in the United States. So like, oh, I'm German American, and um, like it gets really kind of messy down there. <laughs> like, oh, I'm uh, I don't I'm I, I'm actually I'm not sure. Like, the, there's so many different. It, it, there's been such a mixture, so it's such a mestizaje, right? In in mm-hmm. Latin America that that we 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 come out of that. I think that there is something that definitely informs his um uh, the the way that he uh the way that he approaches things. So 
Yeah, I think that there's a lot to that. And I think that like that planting of the seeds image, I think that that's, that's absolutely, uh, I mean, that hits the spot, I think, because, um, because I, 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 there's a tendency, like even in me, like I, I, may, I don't know if this is part of the culture in the United States or not, but you want to have a project and you actually want to finish it at some point, right? Like, so, okay, well, you do this, you, you plan this out, you have uh, uh, your, your, um, your, your, your planning, your uh, manager that plans what, when it's going to be done and what needs to be done in what order, et cetera, whatever. But like with the project of the church, the mission of the church, like we don't actually get to decide when that's over, right? I mean, when, when Jesus shows up again, okay, check, we're done. Okay, great. Take a break. But like until then, it's like 100% go, 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 go. And um, yeah. and I think that like, you know, and I, 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 I love Francis, but he... Uh, likely uh, will not be the last Pope in history. Uh, and mm -hmm. the, the work of the church doesn't end with Francis. And I think that like mm. that we're all going in a particular direction that we, um, there's a great sense of unknowing, I think, when you work for the church of how God is going to use what you do uh, uh, yeah. in order to bring greater glory to God and bring more people to God, right? I hope, I pray that God does that through what I do. Um, but it, mm. while that's going on, like there is like, I actually don't know the end of the story. I mean, I know the end, 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 right? <laughs> I mean, I know that at the very end, um, when Jesus, yeah, Jesus comes again, right? Exactly. Yeah. But all those steps along the way are um, are are going to be messy and they're going to be unclear. Mm. And I think that mm. there is a certain comfort that uh, people from Latin America, the Latinos, have with that unknowing uh, that 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 helps with with mission, with that helps with yeah. kind of dedication. So when Francis talks about missionary disciples and uh, um, how can somebody so be so mission oriented who seems to be so progressive or whatever. It's like, well, I mean, they, yeah. like we, we, we have, have all these boxes and he doesn't really fit into any one of the, our boxes, you know? Um, but like, yeah, but like being on mission is in a way, like you have to be able to adapt to the situation. You have to be uh, uh, able to surrender to the, where the Holy spirit is leading you. And, um, and I think that like the Francis pontificate is a, great invitation to that. I agree with you hundred percent. Um, and he doesn't fit into that, into, into boxes, just two things from, from recent memory. One of them is a social clip that's going around right now about a, I don't know what it is. He's, he probably does a thousand audiences a day, but he's, he's talking to somebody on camera and he's explaining this, um, exchange that he had with somebody who, I guess an older woman who came up to him and was like freaking out to meet him. And, just telling him how much she loved him and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. And then she asked if he could bless her baby. And he was like, absolutely. And she turns around and grabs a dog and puts the dog. Have you seen this clip? No, I haven't seen it. And, and, and he's, he's recounting this story to an audience. And in recounting the story, he says that he chided her at that moment. Um, and I don't know exactly the words that he said, so I don't want to, you know, get it wrong, but it was, a, I'm paraphrasing this idea of like, that's not a child, right? That's a dog. And, you know, kind of like use that moment for that kind of correction, which a lot of people would be like, wow, that doesn't sound like Francis and the all love. And he would totally let things slide. But at the same time he does that. And it's like, wait a minute. That's like, you know, so it's hard to put him in this, in these, you know, sort of buckets. The other one, very famous one is what he had to say about abortion, right? About mm -hmm. the equivalent of hiring a hitman. It's like, that's not mincing any words, right. right? So, so you know whether you're 
maybe more progressively minded, um, kind of left of center, you know, personally, ideologically, where some of those things may chafe or you're right of center and saying like, yeah, right on. But then the next week, it's something else where you're like, wait a minute, I don't know if I agree with that. Or, you know, so it's this weird kind of thing, but it points to hopefully this idea that, you know, we shouldn't be looking left or right. We should be looking up, right? And, and I think he kind of lives that, right, in, in a way that might not be as orderly as some people might like or whatever. But, um, but I do think that that's part of, the, part of his gift, you know, that he's, that he's bringing into the church. Yeah, I think so too. Um, and he is really interesting on, on a number of things and we, where we started our conversation, right? Like in, in terms of the, the demonic and talking about Satan, which he talks about. Oh yeah, that's another one. Talks it, about Satan yeah. very directly. Um, and, um, and I, this is kind of a new thought. I've just been bouncing in my, around my head today, but uh, almost like the, we as a society right now uh, worship a God of infertility, uh, uh, you know what I mean? Mm. Like you know, it's almost like mm. a, instead of the death cult uh, of, of, of days past, like almost like we're yeah. really interested in infertility for some reason. And, and Francis is completely opposed to that, right? And so I think that when um, when he said other things about pets before too, that uh, a pet owner found very offensive. But I think that what he's trying to say, what he's trying to underscore, is the dignity of the family and how important yeah. that is. And as a dad, yeah. as a dad myself, and we're expecting um, a, a baby girl in September. Uh, but as a dad myself, awesome. yes. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy. She's already my favorite. Uh, you know, but um, uh, I have boys. Uh, Don't tell your other kids. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I've already, oh yeah, well, I've actually already. Yeah, told she them. will be your favorite. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they're probably fine with it too. Yeah, like, yeah, okay. yeah. She's our favorite too, Dad. Uh, but uh, but it, it is like a. It is such a, a, a changing, like my, who I am mm. and how I relate to the world changed the day that my beautiful son, Lucas was born. And, you know, and, and before he was born, really, like when he was conceived, but like, you know, especially when he was born yeah. and I got to meet him mm -hmm. face to face, like all of life then becomes structured around who I am as a father. Right. And, uh, and I think that like, that is not the same as when I buy a pet. And pets, yeah. pets are beautiful in God's creation. Of course. And, and, of course. And I love animals. And, you know, I've actually been really into condors lately. I've been doing some research about some of these. Oh, cool. Some of these birds, like, really, like, fly very high. I had no idea. Anyways, but, like, mm. just as kind of a hobby. But, like, I mean, I think animals are beautiful. But, but it's a different relationship that I have with my pet yeah. and with my child. It's, like, it, it's not even the same ballpark. So I think that maybe yeah. he bristles a little bit about that. Uh, uh, mm. with, with pets when they get, when they get lifted up to the same level as a human being, because my children are not my pets at all. Right. My children like belong to God in such a way. I am like, I'm just taking care of these, these folks until they're can take care of themselves and follow God on their own. Right. You know what I mean? As a parent, like I, I, I'm like, God has given me this immense responsibility to take care of this, uh, uh creature that was made in the image and likeness of God. Uh, and, and it's not the same as taking care of a puppy. Um, and, and so I think that Francis anyway, blah, blah, blah. I think that Francis, when he, when he talks about those things, especially with pets, he's recognizing that we often as a society devalue that we devalue children. Uh, we devalue the great gift of parenthood, we devalue family. And, um, and we shouldn't be looking to fill those spots with, with animals because it's, it's, it's something else that God is calling us to. Yeah. Yeah. It's the difference between creatures and sons and daughters. Mm -hmm. right? Um, but at the same time, that's super helpful um, context that you just added with this kind of backdrop of 
the God of infertility, because it, against that backdrop, which of course he has spoken a, a lot about, mm-hmm. you've got this sense of, you know, there's a lot of people who are delaying uh, marriage, not ever getting married, or when they are married, uh, y- y- you know, uh, delaying or making it impossible, contracepting. Right. So like there's, with that in the backdrop, then that kind of makes that exchange m- make more sense. Um, and that's and that's definitely true. So he does kind of confound us in terms of putting him into sort of neat boxes. Right. I, I do want to also touch on something that you said earlier when you were kind of describing, um, you know, some of what this elevates us to try to do. You said that I you hoped you reflected that in your work. And I do want to tr- talk about your work and maybe more broadly journalism because – there's been so much, so many changes in journalism, secularly as well, but I've started to notice some of those changes, you know, coming into church circles as well. Like, and you've been at this for a while. What is, what does, um, you know, Catholic journalism, uh, you know, look like? Where is it headed? What are some of the challenges? Like, how do you look at that whole continuum? Yeah. Um, so I've started uh, out of grad school, started at uh, the Catholic Sun, the Diocese of Phoenix. August 23rd, uh, 2004, you know, um, and uh, uh, before a lot of things, but in the middle of a lot of things and changes in media, you know, um, our, our website was HTML, blocky, whatever. Uh, we did have a website, mm-hmm. you know, um, but, um, but it was doing coding to update the website and all that, you know, it was a very wow. different process than like what it is today. Um, and then, you know, like the advent of social media um, and, and what, what I've been thinking about more, even more recently is how we were able to, how advertisers are able to take advantage of, of, the, of all the tracking that happens online. Right. Because mm. like um, when you go to a website, like uh, it used to be like, okay, well you want to advertise your, your scary movie. Uh, well, you advertise in the movie section of the newspaper or whatever. Right. Or, or you, know, you advertise during particular shows on TV or something. But now, like because of the way the advertisers and websites and people like Google are able to track who's going where, um, they can actually serve advertising to a specific person. Like, uh, 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 I mean, a specific kind of person. Like, okay, well, these people really like scary movies, so like, let's yeah, based on their behavior, right? Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's changing the way that we produce content in the media at large, right? So, like, you know, knowing who's coming and who pays more. Um, there's a the the uh, the, the Pulitzer's paper uh, the world uh, uh, I think that that's right um, but but back in the day it was a, a paper that used to serve more the um, the working class communities of New York and then there was another newspaper that came out and said oh you know you don't want to advertise uh, uh, Tiffany's in your newspaper you you don't want to have you don't have want to advertise your Rolex in the world you know it's the working class paper. Um, we, we need a, like a high, uh, a high society paper, uh, to, that you can advertise in so you can sell your expensive stuff. Right. Um, that newspaper is, is called the New York times, uh, uh by the way. Mm. So that's where it came from. Uh, this idea of trying to serve kind of the elite group of people. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. I know it's oh, crazy. Wow. Uh, uh, it's crazy. Oh, wow. Um, but anyways, but like from that money has shaped the way that we do content and media a long time. And now it's just, mm. To, to even in a higher degree now because of the way that uh, we can track users, that we call them users, right? We have, the way we can track the people that are coming to our websites, 
that's changed a lot. Um, in the space mm. for, it's a really long drawn I'd answer. Sorry. I have to, Not at obviously, all. No, no, no. Have you thought a lot about it's it? your show. Yeah, uh, <laughs> There's no clock. Yeah, Don't worry about it. Yeah. But, um, but in terms of how we engage that in Catholic media, like where, like if we're following, say, what Francis is asking us to follow, if we're prioritizing the marginalized, if we're, we're keeping in mind those people on the peripheries, well, people on the margins, the people on the peripheries don't always, they're not always the ones that are, have a lot of money. So like mm. we have to like, I think we have to be very, very intentional when we're looking for things, when we're looking for traffic, when we're looking for engagement, like it's not enough that we engage people, right? It's not enough that we have a lot of people come to our website, right? Like uh, uh, we, we, in America, we get more than a million uh, people come to our website every month, right? Uh, but, mm. but that in itself isn't enough. It's like, who are these folks? Like, and are we serving the people on the, margin, on the margins? Are, is, is what we do, the content that we do, is it working for justice? Uh, is it trying to like address injustices? Is it bringing people closer to God? Is it helping people love each other? Uh, uh, just, you know, the two commandments, are we helping people love God and love their neighbor? Um, I mean, we have other questions in mind that if we simply follow industry strength, uh, if we only follow the indus industry trends, we won't actually get to the, the answers and we won't become the, the vehicles that we're meant to be if we're um, truly being like members of the Catholic media. It's a much higher calling, in my opinion. Uh, so, yeah. it, it is. I mean, you've got you've got a significantly greater responsibility than just the metrics of the media industry, right? If so, somebody like CNN or MSNBC or Fox might be satisfied with just the impressions and views and clicks and all of that, um, and they can just go home. We did better. We succeeded. There's more money in the till. But in your case, and to a larger extent, all Catholic media. There's a there's a higher calling. There's a higher a higher thing. The other thing I was thinking about this recently because as, as you you know, as a person who follows media of all kinds, uh, there was two very significant uh, defections or changes in cable news uh, with uh, Tucker Carlson and with Don Lemon on the same week being you know uh, given the keys to the street as we say. Um, and you know I was thinking about well what are those guys going to do next? And one thing that I don't think you could have said. 10 years ago is, well, they just might go at it alone. Because another thing that I've seen a big change in, especially in journalism, is the idea of journalists going directly to readers, directly to consumers without the, the, the intermediary as in a brand that they kind of get behind. And so you see like Substacks and all these different things popping up where a journalist can directly kind of monetize their own, uh, you know, view of things. And I think that also, I mean, it's still monetary, right? Because you're looking for subscribers, but the advertiser, at least for now, seems to be not involved in that part of it. But that, but that causes a huge change, right? Where you don't have this sort of voice, New York Times or, or America Magazine or whatever, but you've got, you know, the, the, the folks who have the bylines going directly to the consumer. Yeah, that's huge. Um, the, um, um, excuse me, um, the... The idea of even within the last, what, 20 years, I used to dial up a website, right? Like, oh, I'm going to check out what the New York Times says or NPR or the Wall Street Journal or whatever. I just go to the, that website. Today, most people get there through social media, right? So it's not even just like the story itself, but like what has like Twitter or Facebook or and Mastodon or whatever, uh, uh, prioritized that this is more important for whatever reason, because its users are engaging more with this piece of content, right? Um, mm. 
so that that the way that that changes things, I think it's huge, and I think it could be uh, incredibly detrimental. Like even our social media outlets are busting up, right? Like after Elon took over Twitter, like there's been exodus for that. Like everybody used to be on Twitter. I don't, I'm, I'm not sure how many people are. Uh, I think a lot of people are still on there, obviously. But this idea of having yeah. a forum where we can all talk, even though we disagree, I mean, that's a beautiful idea. Um, at America, uh, not to speak for uh, my the the big boss, but uh, Father Sam Sawyer is very interested in how to facilitate these conversations within um, within America, the United States, but also within the church, because we uh, we so often talk past each other. And yeah. one of the things that he talks a lot about isn't just about um, having constructive conversations, but I, but really moving toward reconciliation uh, yeah. and really finding like uh, assuming the best intentions of the other person that you're having a conversation with. And I think it's like, oh my gosh, that, I mean, that's a beautiful idea, but how difficult, like so often, like where we, we, we're trying to win an argument. We're not trying to understand, you know, it goes back to the St. Francis prayer, right? You know, uh, uh, but like that, that, you know, that, that we're, we're trying to be, um, peacemakers and we're trying to understand where the other per person is coming from because, you know, Hey, maybe I'm actually wrong. <laughs> Who says that? In it media, is possible. Right? It's been known to happen. Yeah. Right. Like, like who, who if you stop and listen, uh, I mean, maybe that's just like people are so insecure that they, they can't confront the idea that they're wrong or something. Right. I don't know. But like, that's, I mean, that's another deeper spiritual thing about Catholic media, I think, is that kind of humility in which we approach this, that we are not actually the authority. God is the authority. Right. Um, and, yeah. and so, uh, so anyway, yeah. So I think that that's very interesting the way that, the Tucker Carlson thing is, and Don Lemon thing is happening because they are, uh, I mean, I think Tucker is going to be on Twitter now um, and mm -hmm. direct to an audience without that big brand. He is the brand, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Yeah. I love the idea too of this, um, you know, conversation and dialogue with the end goal of reconciliation, because even the notion of a peacemaker the fact that a peacemaker exists means that conflict preceded him, right? Otherwise, there's no peace needed to be made, right? So there is disagreement, there is conflict, but creating those forums for that type of dialogue oriented to reconciliation is something sorely lacking in the media space in general, and I would even say in the Catholic media space. I think America in particular, and I talked to you about Gloria Purvis earlier <clears throat> in our lead-up call, but I think Gloria is like a perfect embodiment of what I mean. Um, I know she's got a show with you guys, a podcast with you guys. Um, and I've invited her to come on this one. She's just a busy lady. But um, but this idea of trying to, to really live that Catholic experience, right? The both and, right? And she presented it the last time I heard her speak in this context of her pro, her, her kind of, uh, you know, friends or network that are oriented to uh, the needs of the anti-racism uh, movement, right, of that reality, as well as her friends and network that are oriented to uh, pro-life causes. And her sort of, um, you know, bemoaning and, 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 and feeling sorrowful that there's not more overlap between those two, right? So we see that kind of thing in, in the Catholic space as well sometimes. Look, my dream for this show is like, I'd love to have, I got two mics in front of me right now. I'd love for one of those to be Cardinal Burke and the other one to be Father James Martin, like on the same show. I want to have that discussion. You know what I mean? I want to have this sort of both and conversation. But I think a lot of Catholic media, and I don't know if it applies, well, I think it does apply to journalism too. 
has become, you know, kind of uh, bubbleized. You know, it's sort of in their little respective corner. Yeah, and I think that in a way, if we're led too much by our by the metrics, that's where that leads us, right? Like, I mean, true. We, we're the way the content, like, we want. You know what I want? I want I want to read content that tells me I'm right. You know, I love to be right. You know, so let me just like check in with the writers to tell me I'm right or whatever, or things I'm going to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, instead of like being challenged and in my own uh, uh, and my beliefs and the way that I think, right? Like that's just that that there isn't you know get as many clicks for that stuff. So, um, so yeah, so I think that there is that, that it's a, it's a tremendous challenge and, and reconciliation, I think moves towards, uh, uh, recognizing like the reality that we really are all together, right. Is you know, it's a recognition of our common father that we've got, mm. God is our father. And then, uh, you know, I would say throw in, in the blessed mothers, our mom, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, like we are part of this family. That's really what's happening. Uh, yeah. that, and rec reconciling is moving toward this communion of that really does exist, but it gets muddled when we're, when we focus too much on, on this, on some of these arguments and some of these debates uh, that can lead us astray from that. Um, it, well, yeah. it gets more muddled when we're just hearing our own voice repeated to us, yes. you know, in every single place, right? It's like, it's more muddled in the echo chamber than it is out in the real world where you gotta, you know, if you got a perspective, you share that perspective and then what you hear back is, I don't know, what about this? Yeah. And then you have to grapple with your own perspective. It's like, okay, well, you know, the whole idea of iron sharpening iron, right? It's, it's you know, through that sort of uh, dialogue or that exchange, it's supposed to be formative for both parties, right? That, that That's like a part that's sort of missing. So I don't know, maybe you and I need to do a show. See, we have to come up with a show idea and and have that be and create that forum because there's not a lot of it. I mean, there's plenty of examples in the secular world, right? I mean, I think of the uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, uh, earlier version, maybe more so than now. Um, there's uh, the big pod video podcast now is the uh, the whatever podcast, which is like literally 12 people in every episode and six of them think one thing and the other ones think the opposite. And they talk about it for like 10 hours. I mean, so there's like all these examples in the secular world that are beginning to pop up. And, you know, I think we're long for one in the Catholic world too. So I think that the idea of uh, a show, it's great. I mean, I love that idea of that juxtaposition of um, uh, uh, Father Martin with Cardinal Burke. I mean, that, that would be, that wouldn't that be a fascinating conversation? Where else are you going to see that? Yeah. Where else are you going to see that? Yeah. But we're in the same Catholic church, you know what I mean? Like, so like it, it does in a way exactly reflect who we are as a church as well. I, I, I think that it's hard sometimes when, um, we're, I mentioned briefly about the Latino vote earlier, but I think that they talk about the Catholic vote sometimes too. Right. And it's oh, like, they sure do. Hey, you know, these guys aren't monolithic either. Right. Catholics. So I think that that, um, in some ways, I think that like the Catholic Church and Catholic media is uniquely positioned in, uh, to to be able to have these conversations. I mean, of course, it, and we've been having them for centuries, right? Like, I mean, we've got the the councils uh, and, and you know some of the knockdown. Those fights. were fiery. Those were fiery affairs. Back yeah, then. absolutely. And we kept it together. You know, we stayed together all through all that. So I think that like uh, we could tap into some of that, some of our tradition to get us through the, what we're going through. And um, who knows? I mean, maybe Catholic media could be that um, an example that other uh, journalists and other media outlets can emulate. Instead of us constantly uh, following what they're doing, maybe we should uh, actually take the lead on some of these things and have these uh, conversations that lead to m more fruitful dialogue and um, 
and lead to reconciliation. Amen, brother. Well, you heard it here first. So when you see the Catholic crossfire coming out, that's uh, that was my brainchild with JD. So we uh, we came up to it, came up with it together on this show. Um, JD, predictably, we have a lot to talk about, but we uh, don't have enough time to talk about everything. So before we get to our final segment, wait, what? Uh, I want to just give you an opportunity to share with folks either upcoming things that you're excited about, projects, uh, articles anything, and give folks a way that they can follow you in your work, uh, maybe specifically at America, but just in general. Yeah. I, um, uh, before I do that, I just want to say, like, I, uh, I, I wouldn't call myself an expert uh, of this show, but the shows that I've listened to in the past, like, they are so good. I mean, there is, like, I just feel like that, the, that really, the, the Holy Spirit's working through you, and I'm, I'm, I just feel so blessed to be on the show with you. So I'm so grateful for the invitation. So I'm I, I, thanks, uh, brother. That, yeah. that means a lot. No, it's I, a privilege, and thanks be to God. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll tell other people about it, and not just because cool. I'm on the show. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, <laughs> uh, but um, so like I, I've been working on this piece for a long time about disaffiliated Latinos. That I think it's uh, very interesting. Yeah, I got to, I'm uh, waiting to read that one. Yeah, I, I got a chance to speak to some very interesting people about that, including disaffiliated people, um, people who left the Catholic Church for um, for Protestant faiths, and um, so uh, that should be coming out soon. Um, on a lo- longer term, I'm working on a piece uh, from the Dominican Republic. I recently got a chance to go there. Um, mm. But you can, you know, you can find my stuff at americamagazine.org. Uh, uh, I'm not as active on Twitter as I used to be. I have a love-hate relationship with social media right now, but <laughs> I'm on Twitter at J.D. Long Garcia. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, but I, I, I think that my, more important than me, I, I I think that like following Catholic media in general, is just a great idea. There's a lot of very talented Catholic journalists out there right now. Um, and there's a lot of places to look for those. And, um, and I think it's always a good practice to read from uh, sources that are both from, you know, more progressive and more traditional or however you want to Agreed. say that. Agreed. You know? um, Agreed. Yeah. There, and there, there are, they're very talented people on, I, I don't want to say both sides as if there were only two. Right. I mean, but, yep. uh, but, but, across the spectrum. There's a lot of talent in Catholic media right now that's worth paying attention to. So um, I'm, I'm happy to, to, to be here. Um, so th- <laughs> thanks again. Yeah, well, privilege to have you. And we'll include uh, all that info in the show notes. And, you know, I encourage everybody to become more acquainted with you, with your writing, with America Magazine, uh, all the good work that, Je- that the Jesuits are doing uh, through that and have been for many years. Um, but a real privilege to have you on the show and you're welcome back anytime, especially if you're here in LA. So we can, we can do it in, uh, in studio. Yeah. that would be awesome. That'd be great. Cool. All right. JD, the wait is over. Are you ready to play? Wait, what? Yes, I am ready. I've been preparing. Right. So, so here goes question. Number one, JD, the seeming connections between the star Wars universe and Catholicism have been made by many. The Jedi Order images a kind of monasticism. The Force is often compared with the Christian understanding of the interconnectedness of the created order. And even the famous saying, may the Force be with you, has been regarded by some as a play on the invocation before a Catholic blessing. But many of the same folks who agree on these Catholic allusions also agree that the introduction of these the microscopic beings behind the power of the force was a mistake 
by George Lucas, since they make the concept of the Force less mysterious. JD, what are these microscopic beings called? Medichlorians. Yes, correct. And, the midichlorians. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I agree. They did kind of take away some of the uh, mysticism from the Force. <laughs> For those who are not aware, they were first introduced to the Star Wars universe in Episode One, The Phantom Menace, back in 1999. And they're these uh, kind of microscopic life forms that reside within all the living cells and communicate with the Force. And Qui-Gon Jinn, the character, tried to explain the concept to Anakin Skywalker. I never got it when I first saw it. I was like, what? It's like, come happening? on, man. Just, right. just put your hand up and have things fly. That's what we need <laughs> to see right. more of. Yeah, that's right. Good job. You're off to a great start. All right, question number two. And actually, you said you were happy to be visiting the Dominican Republic. I know you were born in the Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. um, so here's question number two. JD, the legend goes that in 1502 in the Dominican Republic, a child asked her father to find her an image like the one she described to him from a dream. The girl's father couldn't find an image like she described anywhere. And while complaining about it, an old wanderer pulled an image from a bag, gave it to him, and then disappeared. Upon seeing the image, the merchant's daughter claimed that it was the exact image of her dream. But the image kept disappearing from the girl's room where it was placed and was found each time under an orange tree. A cathedral was eventually built on that spot in honor of the image. JD, who is the image of? Nuestra Señora de Altagracia, Our Lady of Altagracia. Wow, yeah. nailed it. I was just, uh, by the way, I, I was just there. I went were you to, really? I went to the Basilica. It was amazing. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that manifest, that, 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 uh, I guess, yeah, manifestation of Our Lady, the, uh, Nuestra Señora de Altagracia. In, in, in English, it would be High Graces or High Grace. Right. Yeah. Our Lady of High Grace. Yeah, she's the patroness of the Dominican Republic. And, uh, you know, it's very, very interesting um, to have that additional uh, Our Lady to consider uh, in our great kind of yeah. patrimony of it, Our Ladies. Yeah, I, I know they're going through this, uh, but I just to, to say, like, I think she's like a complimentary image to Our Lady of Guadalupe because, you know, yeah. in, in the way that the feast days work from 1212, like, Our Lady's still pregnant, and then like, 127, like, uh, Our Lady, the, the Christ child's there, and if you're familiar with the image, you know, uh, <laughs> St. Joseph's kind of photobombing on one side, you know? He is, he's yeah, like, he's in the background. Yeah, yeah, it's like all, the whole family's there. It's a, it's, a, it's a lovely image, so I encourage That's people to awesome. check it out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, you're doing awesome. Uh, question number three, let's see if you can round out the, the show. By the way, getting a perfect score on the show is actually a rare thing, so you're doing awesome. Question number three, JD, final question. We're going to stay very close to the Dominican Republic for this one, very close. The fact is most folks don't even know that the Dominican Republic shares its island home with another country, Haiti. And it turns out that this Haitian former slave who worked as a hairdresser in New York more than two centuries ago is on track to become the first Haitian American man canonized as a saint from the United States. For the win, JD, who is he? Oh, buddy, I don't know this one. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I could give you, I could give you some, that's, that's all right. That's all right. So I, it's still 66% is not a D on this show. That's <laughs> like, that's like a, that's like a B plus a minus. So, uh, so good job. Let's see. Can I give you some hints on this one? It's kind of hard to yeah, give you. I don't know. That well, his, can, I, I, I yeah, can yeah. give you his first name. His first name, uh, is the French version of Peter. 
Pierre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, you don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, you know, as my penance, I feel really. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll write a story about him. Uh, there you go. Because this, so yeah. yeah. Go on, go on. Sorry. Well, so this is a a man who was born and raised as a Catholic slave in Haiti when it was still a French colony. And he escaped the by way of these slave rebellions that eventually drove out the French government. His owners fled with him to New York, where um, he was an apprentice to one of the city's leading hairdressers and actually became quite successful. And then his slave owner died, and he ended up supporting his owner's widow for a long period of time. And so she freed him from his slave status. He later married and then built a considerable wealth, and he supported charitable case uh, uh, causes, including work against religious and racial prejudice. His name is Pierre Toussaint. Oh, the Venerable yes. Pierre Toussaint. Yes. Pierre Toussaint. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so that if it if it goes through, he'll be the first man canonized as a saint from the U.S. who is of Haitian who is a Haitian American. So there you go. Yes. There that's you go. that's great. It's well, it's still, nevertheless, nevertheless, I think I might give you a, a quarter point for that last one since uh, it's tough to do that to a, to a guy from DR to yeah. give him a Haiti answer. But uh, but yeah, what a, what a privilege to have you on the show, brother. Really great conversation. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. And uh, again, really encourage folks to check you out and the work that you've been doing for a long time. It's really top notch. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate the invitation. Awesome. Well, if you're listening to Our Voices, friends, that means it is time to follow the show and subscribe. Share this episode, maybe with somebody interested in Catholic media, journalism, the Caribbean, uh, Star Wars, a variety of different things that we got into, uh, and help us to make the show grow, reach more folks. That's what we ask of you. We'll be happy to see you again next time on Living the Call. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.